today is the last show of the month, which means that in the next 60 minutes we'll have a new monthly winner. But who's it going to be? Well, here's how the leaderboard looks at the moment. Last week's winner, The Best Days, Diary of a Flagging Dad by Andy Carter, soared into a comfortable monthly lead with 73 points. And that's the all-important score that today's submissions must beat. And before I introduce you to this week's guests, let me remind you that... Axie O's The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea is up for discussion in the Latoba Book Club immediately after this show, Papa Submissions. And it's proving actually a much more controversial choice than I expected. Mmm. Join the book club and see what the fuss is all about. It's a private Zoom call. It's not a public YouTube event. So type club.litopia.com and you'll get full instructions right there. Oh, yes, and you can also find out about today's narrators at voice.litopia.com. So if you're thinking about getting your own audiobook off the ground, then look no further. They are simply the best. Now, let's meet today's guests from Deepest Yorkshire, home of Yorkshire puddings, of course, a cake called Fat Rascal, and the highest number of fictional serial killers in the world... Welcome back, crime-fighting and crime-writing duo, Bob and Carol Bridgestock. And you've Welcome, heard, everybody. <laughs> you've heard her silky smooth tones narrating many pop-up submissions. Now, please meet a very sonorous Bev Dalton. Yeah, a great lineup, folks. Let's get on the show. Here we go. Submission number one, last show of the month. And this is called An Unexpected Donation. It's contemporary fiction, and it's from Josephine. I'm going to read you Josephine's blurb. 42-year-old Susan, once a successful puppeteer, works in a charity shop in Camden Town. That's London. When a dashing Irish photographer, Mark Anthony, who left her five years earlier, turns up, she goes with him to AA, that's Alcoholics Anonymous, gets sober and starts working to make money for a new show. Mark Antony is never far away because he wants to make amends to her. When Susan, hoping for more, realises this and learns that his young model, Priscilla, is pregnant, she clicks again. But not for long. Her friend Maisie is there to help Susan embraces her art again, and her new show is a success. This time, she gets sober for herself. Ooh, interesting story. Let me tell you about Josephine. After an education, this is so interesting, Josephine. After an education in classics, Josephine worked as a jester, a jester in Italy. Not many people can say that. <laughs> I think there's, there's a book there. Uh, writing imitation medieval poems and songs for a group of actors and musicians, strolling actors and musicians, well, specialising in medieval festivals. Later, she became an actress puppeteer, writing plays for her award-winning shows. When addiction took over, so mm, you write whereof you know, clearly, um, she found herself living in a large council estate in North London, baffled as to how this had happened. 
But, like the protagonist of her novel, she's recovered and enjoys her life in Camden. Her short stories have been published both in the US and the UK, and we hope to move you even further onwards and further upwards, and someone's just fallen over in the background, with this wonderful reading from Mel. An Unexpected Donation Written by Josephine, read by Mel Susan moved a bunch of silvery flowers from the counter and put them in a vase. Her hands shook like a pair of maracas. Her shirt, of colours that didn't suit her, smelled of somebody else's perfume. Somebody probably now dead. At ten o'clock in the morning, the halfpenny charity shop was empty. The mountains of things held within it added to the confusion in her mind. Odd objects, rejected by people who didn't have use for them anymore, filled every nook and cranny. Hand warmers, boxes of lavender soap and cream, chocolate fondue sets, mugs with embarrassing logos, boxes of random electric wires, all waiting to be chosen or thrown away. Susan had been working in the shop for four years. It was her refuge, the place away from home where she felt useful. Work, proper work, was not an option. It hadn't been for years, not since she'd left an audience waiting while she enjoyed a bath full of bubbles with her lover. It surprised her to think that once she'd been an artist who used her imagination to earn a living. Now she fantasized. It was different, very different. Behind the chipped and battered counter was a box full of old CDs, collected through the ages by volunteers. Susan picked Verdi, and soon the notes of La Traviata floated through the shop. She thought of the pale Violetta Valerie, with her tuberculotic flushed cheeks, stricken by emotions, of the love that demands great sacrifices, that leaves only to come back when it's too late. Susan turned the volume up and moved her head to the music. She was a small woman, plump like a furry toy, with a thin nose, red, raw lips, and brown bouncy curls. Her trousers were too long, and she wore that brown shirt, creased beyond creased. She was 42, too young to be wasting away, too old to be wasting away. A restless energy tormented her. She felt the dread of the night before, of which she remembered little or nothing. She lived to drink and drank to live. The halfpenny charity shop held her, a second-hand woman with a second-hand life. A very old man came into the shop, walking as if bobbing in and out of a wave. He had a big nose and ears the size of hands. Once, Susan would have made a mental note to sketch his face. Pulling a trolley, he laid a long, knotted hand on the counter. Are you deaf? he shouted. No, I'm mad, Susan shouted back. I'm here for the books. Are there ever enough books for you? No. Come on, then. I'll help you with the trolley. Darkness reigned on the stairs at the back of the shop, where old things were forgotten, covered with dust and loneliness. A plastic skull with bulging bloodshot eyes caught Susan's attention. She planned to build puppets for Hamlet in an undetermined future. She had staged Shakespeare before, and it had won her international prizes. Maybe the skull could be made into a puppet to tell the story of how, after all, death was just a joke, played by a careless comedian. She was caught for a moment by fantastic visions of papier-mâché castles and fake fog. Then the old man huffed behind her. Are we moving or not? Susan didn't reply. She left him in a room with hundreds of books. All those words, if placed in a line, could reach Paris. And Violetta Valerie, in her white dress, 
destined to sing and die over and over again. Back downstairs, Susan looked at the world through a spidery crack in the window. People at the bus stop held bags of food from the large supermarket across the road. It was an award-winning building, but she saw it only as a big grey thing with excessively bright lights, holding aisles of treasures in the shape of bottles and cans. Thank you very, very much, Mum. Great reading. Good start to the show. Let's have a look and see what the genii are saying. I can mm -hmm. say genii and I can say geniuses. They're both equally okay. Um, yeah, so one or two people said this sounds familiar. Have we heard it before? I thought that too, actually, and I think we probably have, but that's that's all right. You know, people do ask sometimes, can, can we resubmit? And I, I always say, yeah, yeah, definitely can. Leave it three months at least, maybe a bit longer. Um, otherwise, it's going to be too familiar. But yeah, you absolutely can do, you know. And I think I think it's a, it's an interesting thing to do to compare reactions sometimes. Um, Claire says something that kind of summarizes my thoughts too. She says, "This is well written. I hope there's some dialogue action soon, though." Uh, Monsieur Dupré says, "Blurb's blurb is a spoiler." Um, mm, it's always a problem with blurbs, actually, isn't it? And Jan and several other people too say um, that. Your your bio, Josephine, is really intriguing, as it is. We want to know more about that. Um, a second-hand woman, says Claire, with a second-hand life. Love it! Um, James says, too much telling on the first page. No emotion. And I kind of wrote that down, too. In fact, I, I, I said too much commentary. Little sense of Susan. So that's kind of the same. Strong voice here, says Mel. But perhaps not enough story. And Mel's our narrator, so she knows what she's talking about too. And James says, start with the, the man coming into the shop. Then weave in the other description, etc. And Jan says, I want to connect. Where is she emotionally at this moment? Mm, interesting. Bev, first reactions, please. Well, I liked it a lot. I mean, there were, I mean, for instance, a couple of... Um, examples of writing that I hadn't heard before, like uh, like a furry toy wrote down. It's like, that, that's not something I'd heard before. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I didn't like ears the size of hands because that seemed wrong. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but the, at the beginning it was, she was wearing colours that didn't suit her and she smelled of somebody else's perfume. And for me, that drew me straight mm. in. Mm. I agree with someone in the... Um, um, in the chat that John, I think, said the blurb was a mini synopsis rather yeah. than a blurb. And we Absolutely. We didn't need to know the whole story on the back. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I I felt it was too slow moving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought it's got all the ingredients, but you, you, I would edit out some and say, let's, let's find the nub here. Let's, what's, what's the human angle that pulls us in? Because I yeah. think that longing for what is over in the supermarket maybe needs to pull us sooner than the past. And I used to be this and the, the opera and the skull and the old man and all of which was lovely, but it, it, it felt a little too spread out and I wanted it tighter. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Alex says, blur could be polished some, but there is some lovely writing. And I, I agree. Mm -hmm. Too young to be wasting yeah. away, too old to be wasting away. Yeah, the pain of addiction is poetry, it says Lex. That's right. Don't just ask him also. 
um, about the uh, the the first sort of scene, really, the old the old man encounter. I was kind of scratching my head with that. I couldn't quite see that. It didn't quite work for me. But am I missing something? No, I found that um, a little underexplained, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, um, I, didn't, I didn't understand and, what they were saying, really. No, and I think she was maybe taking him downstairs to, and maybe he had a trolley. I wasn't sure because my yeah. as she said books and then trolley, and my head went to those library trolleys for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Uh, so, so I sort of figured it out, but you know, Mel's beautiful reading helped. Always does. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, and and I think I would have liked more. Maybe some more foreshadowing and hinting in mm. in some of the description. Yeah. So yeah. when when we've got the list of boxes of electrical cables and stuff on the shelves, you know, maybe it's rows and rows of empty glasses that yeah. you know, or 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 something that pulls us closer to the nub of the story that we're going to get. Yeah, yeah, I think that's bang on. Bob and Carol, please. Yeah, absolutely bang on. <laughs> all right. What else Next. can I say? You've said it all. <laughs> that, yeah, totally, totally brilliant. You just encapsulated everything. <laughs> that was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, just exactly how I felt, yeah. I, I think like everybody said, it, it was well written. There were parts of it that drew you right in and you grasped it and then other parts that let it down. Uh, and like Bev says, you're waiting for something. And I don't think that something came. Whether it comes later, mm. we don't know. But... I think the way it's written and the description... Some of the lines are absolutely uh, amazing. Are brilliant. Brilliant. You know? absolutely but I think brilliant. it does interest Tighter, you. Tighter, yeah. And you would, you would read it. Yeah. But, mm. yeah, like Carol says, you know, you revisit this and you look at the positives and you look at the negatives and yes. you keep the positives and you move it forward, like Bev yeah. said. And it needs to be something and a bit more explanation about the visitor to the shop, as it were. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, or, where, where's the intrigue? What's happening? It's just somebody that's walked into a shop. I must admit, Bev, like you, when when there was that about the hands being, you know, that 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 sort of thing, it, I like. I found myself like it, it it pulled me somewhere, and I I I didn't hear the rest of the, you know. Yeah, just didn't that's feel the danger, right. isn't it? it yeah, 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 just something, just a little bit thing like that can knock you off the story completely. I'm, I'm smiling because Noddy didn't mind. Noddy never minded, did he? <laughs> Yes. Noddy never minded big ears, you know. Oh, we're showing so, our oh, age no. now, aren't we? Well, yeah, well, well, yeah, there's a whole, several generations of people who said, what are they talking about? It's, uh, it's, it's only what Carol told me. It's only what Carol told me. Very good comment from uh, Katie Allen. Uh, I, I, I think, think that's, that's a good start. Right. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, I think actually, Josephine, you could be a little more specific in terms, rather than just saying contemporary fiction, which is a huge, great, I mean, it's basically everything, isn't it? It's non-fiction. I think, I think we, we all know who your readership is, and Katie Allen has just um, said that in the, in the YouTube. We'll just take that off so we can see the uh, genius room. No, we can't take that off because Katie Allen has come back again and said the same thing. But I think that's a technical issue. I don't think it's Katie Allen. Um, Hannah says doesn't necessarily need dialogue if something's happening that's really intriguing absolutely pc frontier some pleasant descriptive prose to open this book a little slow it is a little slow target audience says pc middle-aged women i should think and that's not a slur that's just a demographic 
Um, and Johnny says, yeah, ears the size of hands jarred with me too. So there's quite a few people for whom it jarred, um, along with the big nose, I've got WC Fields. And Claire says, maybe shower at a low point. And Hannah says, we should join your story at a pivotal point in the story. And that's so true. And we often don't see that. What we see really is the, the author writing themselves into it. Um, yeah. Uh, last time she explained why she toyed with the old man. Really? Do you remember that? Last time? You remember that last submission? That's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. LA Thomas says, I would have continued reading. Absolutely crucial question, and that's very good to to hear. Yes. Um, and Claire says, see how al alcoholism has dealt with in The Girl on the Train. Very good. Lots and lots of good stuff there, actually. I don't know if you're with us at the moment, Josephine. If you are, it'd be very useful to, you know, have any comments, thoughts, suggestions, or questions, actually. You know, because that's the point. When you send in a submission to, you know, someone like me, an agent or a publisher, you don't get any feedback, really. You don't, unless they really want it, of course. But you can now. You can now. So now is your chance. Um, I want to say again, I gave you high marks for the craft because I really do believe you can write. I gave you fairly low marks for the blurb because there's a number of other people observed. What you've written really is a synopsis. And um, there we go. Let's look at the numbers. You got a fifty. I don't. I don't know if that's actually accurate. It's not accurate because we haven't got your marks, Bev. Oh, I did submit, but you did. Okay. Yeah, they what are submitted. We okay. Well, let's. Uh, um, let, me just... let me try again. I'll get back to you. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll. I'll open another link. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad it's not only us, Bev, that costs. <laughs> It's live, folks. This is what happens when you go live on YouTube. Uh, we have no secrets anymore. Um, we will, I tell you what, let's just stick with you for a moment. I was going to say, let's move on to the next submission. Let's, let's stick with you because I can actually enter those values if I have to manually. And I think that might be. Oh, do you want me to tell you? Yeah, just uh, hold on a second. I'll just get the, the correct spreadsheet up. Um, it's going to take me a second or two, but it's worth doing because we have a complete number. Okay, so title, please. Uh, I did a three. Okay, and blurb? Two. And, yeah, you didn't like that either, did you? Uh, craft? Craft was four, and then four. three. Very good. And a three for commercial. That's great. Okay, those numbers will percolate. In fact, they've already hit us, and they look 60, 40, 0, 0. There we go, 80. Yeah. So that's gone from a 50 to a 65. My instincts told me it couldn't just be a 50. Very good. Um, thank you very much, Craig. See, sometimes we get authors with pseudonyms, and I'm not entirely sure if Craig is actually Josephine. And I'm not sure Craig's going to tell us either. But anyway, you got a 65, Josephine. You should be pleased with that. Let's see what's next. go submission number two final show of the month it's all to play for remember 73 is the magic number that's got to be beaten if you want to be on month's winner and therefore get submitted ahead of Zeus one of Britain's most progressive publishers this is the celestial way it's science fiction I'm into science fiction at the moment reading a lot of it it's by Drake Vato that is a such a cool name I don't care if it's real or not it might be pseudonym doesn't matter Drake Vato or Vato Drake Vato I think very short blurb in the distant future, a former dragon slayer and a fledgling dragon forge a lasting companionship in the fires of one man's crusade 
against reality. Oh. Crusade against reality. In some philosophical aspect, we're all engaged in that, aren't we, really? Um, this is about Drake. Drake Vato is a transhumanist. <laughs> I've never seen that in a blurb before. Uh, world dreamer, journey seeker, and wide-eyed idealist. Although those qualities are often buried beneath an armour of jadedness. Mm. <laughs> the Celestial Way is his English debut. That worries me. Why is it your English debut? Does this, does this mean that um, it's second language for you? I wonder. We'll find out. In speculative fiction, his single greatest interests are, unsurprisingly, dragons. That's a good thing to be interested in. Currently, he's in the process of figuring out the next best thing. Okay, well, maybe discover the opposite sex. I don't know, just a suggestion. In the meantime, we have a fabulous reading for you from Johnny. The Celestial Way by Drake. Read by John. Prologue. 998 RE, Somewhere in the Galaxy. She stood before the vast window, contemplating the cosmic panorama. Beyond the reinforced glass and invisible layers of force fields, the planet was a dark shape against the cosmos. Its outline bathed in a fiery red-orange halo from the rising star behind the horizon. Ever-bright light started the planet's body in intricate patterns, echoing the golden illumination of constellations which hung above and to the right. A host of moons circled the spatial ocean in between some fully visible in their many-layered glory, others merely specks of reflected photons nearly hidden by the blinding radiance of the planet's crystal ring. We need to confer about the Lightbringer, she said. What about him? She turned away from the window. The room was dark. The only light came from the aperture behind her, casting heavy shadows along the walls. There was no decoration, except for a single desk. The situation has escalated beyond control, she said. The Lightbringer wants to turn reality into singularity. All of it. Yes, that would be problematic for the rest of us, he said. He sat behind the desk looking at her. The shadows obscured both their features, outlining the only sharp contours of his suit and the sleek lines of her attire. I agree. Measures must be taken to contain the problem. The time for proxies is over, she said. His ambition imperils everything, including us. We must act directly. No, he said. It's too early. If we personally prevent this crisis, the enemy will take notice. Either way, we fail. An alternative solution is required. We can eliminate the entire system. Alienating a shard, we might as well let the Lightbringer finish what he started. The results will be comparable. Let us make the Consortium bring an armada, she said, or the Union. Both of them have enough resource to handle the situation despite possible losses. We can't. The stellar civilizations have been pushed almost to an all-out conflict, he said. If either of them sends a battle fleet to the system, it would mean war for the whole sector, again. What about the fractured states? Insufficient. Even in their united power, they lack raw material and trained conduits. The Haral? Too deep in their own problems. Utopia Traconis? Out of the question. She crossed her arms, mentally exploring non-viable solutions one after another. Silence fell upon the room. The distant, nigh imperceptible hum of energy sources mixed with the slowly twisting shadows of the space-borne construct followed its orbit. Something clicked, and a flicker cut the darkness. 
He dragged on the cigarette, the glowing ember of the light illuminating his pensive gaze. There is one elusive problem, he said, watching the drifting smoke. Volatile, but with fair odds of success. Her eyebrows lowered faintly. You propose the employment of narrative casualty? The Lightbringer, once a galactic hero, has now begun a mad crusade against reality itself. What better opportunity is there now for a champion to rise against such a villain? If done right, this is exactly a clear-cut story about good triumphing over evil. Madness, she said. We have no power to control such progress in our own reality. You know that. Yes, he said, but we can set the initial variables to ensure the maximum chance for a best-case scenario without exposing our move to the enemy. And the chances are? Above zero, he said, and took another drag on his cigarette. She tisked and turned again to the window. We could try other methods. Such as? There was no use. They had no time to develop a productive solution. Events had completely blindsided them. They both knew it. Either they could lose now, in a variety of ways, or they could lose a little later. Luck was not a factor on the scale they operated. Except it was the only variable left now. She sighed. If this narrative dream of yours is going to work, we can't just send anyone, she said, her gaze fixed beyond the window, unseeing. I know, he said. There is a perfect candidate for the job. Who? The Dragon Slayer. Much! Sorry, I've got a few extra, um buttons to press at the moment. We, we do need to check that uh, Burb's vote is working in a second, which we will do. Um, but big says from Josephine. Oh, Josephine. Hello, Josephine. Glad you're here. Very pleased with the critique. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Good. Um, yeah, because we get, we get all, you know, uh, nervous if we, we don't hear anything from our authors. We think, oh, something <laughs> to upset them. Oh. But it's, it's good to hear. That's very, very um, encouraging. Thank you. So let's see what the genie is saying. Always right, never wrong. Guys, they're not algorithms. Can you believe it? Our entire lives are run by algorithms, chat, bleeding, GPT, whatever. And But these are real people, real live. Well, I think they are. <laughs> I haven't actually checked. I'm saying this, I don't know. You're, you're getting instant sentiment analysis. That's what you're getting. It's not a bleeding, you know, algorithm. It's real people, real authors who are keen to see you succeed, but they're still going to tell the truth. Um, and what they're saying is, okay, where do I pick it up from? Blurb, far too short of vague. Lots of people saying that. That's Ali Thomas, title a bit bland. Lex is very excited. I mean, you could sell a copy already to Lex, I think, just on the, on the, on the concept. He said, bad, blurb is too short. Good, blurb is Dragonheart plus Star Wars. Let's freaking go, he says. Oh, he's so excited. And James says, what? Uh, <laughs> One blurb too long, one too short. Will we get one just right, Goldilocks? <laughs> Maybe. Um, Chan says, meaning uh, they're part cyborg uh, implants. Uh, need more info on the blurb, says Hannah. A lot of people are saying this. What makes this different to other Dragon Slayer type stories? Yeah. Um, PC Frontier likes the title, um, agrees that your name is good, actually. Well chosen, or maybe your, your, your parents chose it, don't know. Title doesn't hinder dragons, says Mr. Dupre. I wonder how you feel about that. Um, it doesn't really. It's a bit generic, isn't it? Yeah, we'll discuss that in a moment. Straight in conversation, didn't draw me in, says Johnny. Dialogue heavy, says LA. James wants dragons, and I'm sure Lex echoes that as well. Starts a bit heavy, says Mr. Dupre. 
too many unknowns. And Hannah points out that Lightbringer takes my mind off to a different fantasy novel, a novel, a series, actually. And Claire says, we need a character to engage with before this macro-level scene. And Hannah, Hannah says, ditch the prologue, start with something we can connect with and feel, and, and a feel of the protagonist's character. All right. Bob and Carol. Right. Do you want to go to Carol first, or do you want me to? Oh, number one, it's not my genre. So, right. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Fair it's enough. Just, um, it, um, yeah, uh, I mean, to me, from the writing point of view, I thought it was quite dialogue-heavy, um, and I needed something to engage with, because it is my genre. Um, Tad Bland, yeah, I've got that as well, but... This guy can obviously write, you know, can really write. So that that's obvious, you know. Yeah. I think you just had a hint there. A cue Bob, please. Cue <laughs> Bob. You know, it was about the light bringer that's gone off on one in simple terms. And we needed the Dragon Slayer to deal with it. Uh, we seem to be a long way for me getting into it. To, to see what the problem was. Apart from looking out of a window, having mm. a drag on a cigarette or two, it didn't take me anywhere. You know, for me, it didn't start in the right place. Mm. You know, for me, it should have been, uh, you know, the, the major problem for the galaxy at the moment is that the light bringer, and mm. there's only one way to deal with it. And we didn't get that till the very end. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, didn't yeah, draw, yeah. it didn't draw me in. And I probably yeah. wouldn't, you know, it sounds awful. And Drake, I'm sorry about this, but I wouldn't read it further because of that. You know, I'd, I'd want something to grab me at the very beginning, and it didn't. Yep. It didn't I like the ending of the... the you know, but, yeah. The ending was... But that, yeah. to me, is where it should have started. Yeah, that, You know, and then we have got the dragon, like somebody said there, linked to the title, uh, yeah. or not to the title, but to the blurb. Yeah. So for me, whilst the dialogue was there, and mm. usually dialogue moves things forward quickly, to it me didn't, it didn't. It? No. 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 Right. So, sorry, Drake. Well, keep there going. we go. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Barbara, is this your particular bag of worms? Sorry, who? Oh, sorry, Ben. <laughs> what's Barbara? What am I saying? What am I saying? Where did that come from? Oh, strange. Yeah, I'm afraid I didn't give this one very high marks, mainly because there were too many names. There mm. were... For me, there were too many names and concepts that I was having to try and keep in my head that didn't mean anything yet. Yeah. And yeah. by the time we got down to, I wrote what the fractured states and the hurrah and the and I'm like, no, I've 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 lost it now. I've no idea mm. who and what these things are and what um, what importance they have or not. Yeah. And so. I, I felt I was having to sort of second guess it and that the, it, the writer wasn't providing a, a, a solid enough platform for me to grasp the story on. Yes. Um, and at the end, I wasn't really clear on what the actual stakes were. No, no. it's reality you know, versus singularity, what, but we, we don't know. We're, we're uh, I have no idea what that means, and yeah. I, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't understand the employment of narrative causality, and I, uh, I just felt <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so, and this I is quite a demanding what, book. It doesn't not not any old uh, reader can read it. No, you've got to no, be quite exactly. a PhD in physics, definitely astrophysics, preferably. 
So I, yeah. I think what might have got in the way was there was somebody wrote it, they felt like they were on the Starship Enterprise. And yeah. I think if this was a scene at the beginning of a movie and it took a few seconds and you had the atmosphere and you had other things that were giving you visual signals, yeah. this this is where it would work. But as as a book where we've got to fill in a lot of information for ourselves, yeah. I think it's falling down. And and so yes, I I think the idea of it is something I would like, but I think it's in in its present incarnation, it, okay. you haven't sold it to me got today. Got it. Got it. All right. Uh, haven't sold a book there, Drake. Don't worry. John Butthill makes a very perceptive comment about that, actually. He says, many uh, SF readers may not know what all the names mean, but will see what kind of world they imply. And that's very interesting. It does kind of suggest, well, I don't think it's going quite far enough, because what I picked up from your prologue, very long prologue, mate. You know, I'm mostly against prologues, but occasionally I suppose they're necessary. I, I think you could have brought that down to, you know, two or three really, really quite punchy paragraphs, and that's that. Um, all I got was um, one: the, the 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 big setup is reality uh, versus singularity, and I don't really know what you mean by either of those. So, you know, that, that's questionable, really. And two, um, dragon slayer. Yeah, yeah. You got the problem? Call for the dragon slayer. And that sounds. Yeah, that's that. Would that make me turn the page? Yeah, it would actually. But but the, it could come down to you know like half a page, really. Um, if you wanted it to. So, where are we now? Let's have a look at the... Yeah, it's got, there's a lot more to say in the Junior's Room, actually, yeah. Sorry, I was going to punch the uh, the final score button. But now, now Lex, because Lex was so excited about this. So, and, you know, he, he's, he would have been your first sale, actually. Lex says, this is interesting idea in world building, but it desperately, and he's shouting, desperately needs some action interest to draw us in. Don't promise dragons in space. Oh, so, so, so cool, that. And give us some guys talking politics. <clears throat> right. Uh, yeah, Claire liked the ending. Jan says if, the, if they're having this conversation with the dragon, shooting fire at them. <laughs> yeah, also love the ending there. Monsieur Dupre says, I'm afraid we just heard the narrative causality. Um, yeah. And John uh, says, but John Battelle says, brilliant, the big problem is up front. And the possible solutions give us a glimpse into the story world. Well, that's fair enough. They do, yeah. I like the description that starts as PC, uh, Mr. Frontier. But as others have said, I suggest the author could establish the first two characters first. If they need establishing, they may not need establishing. Maybe they're just there to say, we'll call for the Dragon Slayer. We don't know. Before all the dialogue helped draw the reader in. Hannah, just so while I was reading, because I heard dragon cigarette <laughs> call for the dragon cigarette <laughs> great I like it um, EG says why not start with the dragon slaying mid dragon slaying excitement if he gets excited about it it might not do briefly uh, then rock into this bit mm, yeah maybe and um, Python says I like the reference to, to Lucifer as the villain the hints at world building also the dialogue yeah okay and um Mr. Japan, so the reader reads it as narrative causality. Ca casualty. Yes, they do. Ca causality is often misread as, as casualty. Absolutely right. Okay, so let's just check back with Bev. Uh, did I say the name properly this time, Bev? Yes. Yes, it's not Beeve or... Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not Barbara. Okay, well, we've got, we've got your numbers in. That's great. And we've got Bob and Carol's numbers in. Let's just check. We have, so it means we've got a final score. You've got 55. You've got 55. I think we think there's lots of promise there, but you haven't quite delivered on that. Thank you very much, sir, Drake. Let us know how we've done. We've let you know how you've done.
Um, what is this? A book that I see before me. It's Vengeance. Icebreakstock.com. <laughs> Bob and Carol, a writing unity. How they work together. Well, we've explored that previously on, on previous shows because they are some of our most long-standing guests, actually, Bob and Carol. Um, you know what? Before we talk about your uh, your distinguished publishing history, and actually we, we have got something to celebrate about, I just want to ask you, so you guys have about 100 years between you of combined police experience. I'm exaggerating, but a lot, many decades, right? And it's, you know... He's trying to say you're, he's trying to say you're old, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> no, accept it, Cal. I can't. I always get into trouble when they come on. Um, so oh, what I'm interested in is... Gallows humour, gallows humour, because it can be a uh, pretty rough job sometimes, more than rough, actually. So is there ever any humour in it? Is always all just, oh, trauma and shock? Where do you want to start? <laughs> Let me just say from the very beginning, you've got to have humour, and if you didn't have humour, you'd never caught with what was in front of you. It's, yeah. it's like my red face now. I went outside and took the dog for a walk in the cold wind and then come back. <laughs> I've just seen how red well, that's, that's your excuse. That, you know. Yeah, that's my excuse, yeah. <laughs> but uh, of course there is. And, you know, I can think back to all sorts of, you know, I'm, in fact, I joined uh, 49 years ago. Uh, it's been, it would be my second day in the police force 49 years ago today. Oh, wow. uh, so um, you're not, not far off with the 100 years. <laughs> but having said that, all sorts of things happening, and there's times changed as police evolve, all sorts of things. But, I mean, you know, we used to have observations between Manchester and Huddersfield where... They put two officers in a caravan to watch and take numbers of cars, trams, you know, crossing the Pennines for stolen vehicles. And the sergeant went up there one day for a visit and a cup of tea, parks the police car, goes, has a cup of tea, comes out, the police car's gone. And, of course, he's cursing. In those days, it's cursing. Has it been nicked? No. It forgot to set the handbrake. And it had gone down <laughs> across the moorland, down into a quarry, and wrote oh itself off. I have never seen a sergeant as such a climber in my life that got down there, put the handbrake on and climbed back up before reporting it. Did he? And swore the, wow. and swore the, other, wow. and swore the other officers to, you know, to secrecy. Because in those days, the discipline was everything. You know, you'd be sacked for it. And then you think about police officers going out in the panda car and you can't get hold of him all night so everybody's saying well where is he has he got a woman somewhere he didn't why is he answer the radio yeah. and he comes back and he says oh the radio were faulty now back in those days the police stations had car washers they had petrol pumps on the station they had mechanics and the early turn if you pick the car up off somebody your first job was to check it for scratches and god help you if you're, the, you're the a scratch man and it was dirty this car so the officers starting shift put it through the car wash, and it washed all the paint off the front wing. <laughs> <laughs> what he'd done is had a bump, hit a wall, ruined the front wing, got his mate out of bed, who did a wow. sterling job putting a new wing on, respraying it, and then putting a bit of mud on to make it look realistic. <laughs> but it didn't count on the officer. Washing the washing. car! <laughs> or, or you can see, you know, as an SIO... When you start as a senior investigating officer, I can remember going to one scene. It wasn't a murder, it was a suicide. Still a sad case. But it was raining. It was raining, you know, the Peter K type of rain that wets you through. The, glass, the grass is slippy. It's a one in ten slope to where this body is. And he's slumped against a tree halfway down this banking. At the bottom of the banking is a river. And you put your, you're all in one suit that you can get on most 
online these days for about three ninety nine, and you would <laughs> really you believe you get the gloves and the mask with it? It's great. Uh, but you put these on and you start walking down, and this was one of the first jobs as the man in charge, as it were. And suddenly slip. You go straight on your backside, then on your back, and you start sliding past the officers <laughs> with the body. And they did. This is Gallows. What you it? did. What you did. Just laugh. And of course, all they heard with this voice if you're still laughing, when I get back up there, you'll be pounding the beat. But I mean,. And this a, is this is James Herriot stuff. I mean, a fellow Yorkshireman. Well, I mean, this, this you, you know, I mean, stop stop the fiction writing. Start doing some non-fiction. This is hilarious <laughs> stuff. It's extraordinary. We, yeah, actually, we actually we actually do put these in the books. Yeah, uh, got, we do put, put as much fact in as we can. Somebody sent us a picture that he took. He, he was uh, he used to have uh, look after. Well, he used to be in charge of national body dogs for uh, tracing. You know cadavers and you know going out and finding missing people etc and we've gone got called to a body on the moorland and it's pete and of course as a detective like you did back in those days you know with your long hair and your suit on you got out of the car and started walking across the moors towards him i got and then i started sinking down to my knees in a lovely grey suit that i'd worn <laughs> for about i would had it for about two days and you suddenly realize think Oh, yeah. this is it. And of course, he laughed and he says, Well, there's one thing, lad, isn't there? You'll never do it twice. Yeah, and that's how it used to be. People yeah. say, you I'll know, send just, you the picture, yeah. Pete. You and can I, put uh, it on. <laughs> yes, I, I, I will treasure know, we could, it. We could, talk, we could talk forever. You know, you, you see, everybody's seen the scenes as they are nowadays with the, yeah. the, the cover, coverall suits in inner scenes of crime. And when you're in there, you know, you might be in there 20 minutes, and usually it's the senior investigating officer, whoever he or she is. And usually the, the senior CSI that goes in. And when you're in there for 20 minutes and there's media outside at the end of the street at the cordon, etc., and this body that had been laid on the bed suddenly sits up. God. <laughs> and you think, I better not scream. I better not run out. <laughs> because, you know, you can just see what can happen. And, it, and, it's, airy, and it's airy in the body. It's trapped air in the body. Oh, it's air. Yeah. Oh, it's even worse. Well, it depends which end it comes out. But nurses (laughs) nurses will tell you it's quite common, is this? I've never heard of that. Well, I didn't know that. And and then visits to a mortuary. Visits to a mortuary. I mean, one of the first couple of times I went to a mortuary, the mortuary attendant, Trevor, nice fella, if, well... Perhaps, uh, but it, we used to be out all 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 hours. So they used to, you know, when you went, the first thing you wanted was a drink of coffee, hot drink, tea, coffee, maybe some toast. And Trevor used to say, "All right, do you want some milk in your coffee?" Yeah, please. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, it's been a long day. So I'd go to the fridge where the body was, open it, and between the legs, it take out a bottle of milk and bring it and pour it. And then he says, "Are you hungry?" And you're tempted to say, "Well, I am a bit." So he goes to the to another fridge, opens it, and brings out some yogurts. Now I've never eaten oh, yogurts. No. I've never oh eaten no! Oh no! To this day, you know. Or I mean, you could. We could go on. I mean, I, I mean, people might know that you know, policing back in the seventies, eighties. You know, tape recorded interviews was one thing, but they decided the police. And they were trying to save money. They thought, 
it interviews instead of the officers trying to record everything in a pocket but one of them sat there saying what did you know they, they'd record it so they, they thought we'll save money we won't video it we'll just record it so the first <laughs> recording they did and interviewed it they go in and they, they could i'm detective bob richstock and this is my pal dc evans here and we now interviewing uh, malcolm so and so and then you'd hear this <laughs> they hit me they both hit me that malcolm you know hit me. that bob richstock's just hit me twice uh, no we haven't yes no we haven't i will hit you in a minute if you don't stop it <laughs> behave yourself no oh it hit me again so they decided this, I mean, it was like the Op Fuss TV film. Yes. So they decided we'll have a video interviewing as well. And I mean, I taught, I spent three years at uh, detective training school at Wakefield, which was an international training school for senior detectives around the world. So we did this to show people just what it, they said, to play it back to them, how they looked, what they got on with. Now, the first one that went in, it's got a burglar. It's a sim, you know, a simple scenario. You've been caught for burglary. Uh, you did it. So the lads, you know, the officer starts there saying, "Right, Brian, you've locked up for burglary. We know you've done it. I didn't, Brian. We know you did it. I didn't." So the officer then stands up, gets his comb out of his pocket, combs his hair right up in front of the camera that's videoing it, and said and speaks to the camera saying. We know he has because we've got his fingerprints. Brian, we've got your fingerprints, <laughs> so we know you do it. And you just think, what? What's like, going, what's going like, on? Um, it's just not on the night tapes. Oh, we, well, I should have kept it. We did have one with all sorts of things on it, but I should have kept it. So we well, should have you, you know, should have your own that. series. And and I I'm serious, non-fiction book. It's a fair <laughs> co- it's a fair cop, Gov. It's, it's a fair, fair cop. cop. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. You should do that. Uh, but we have to talk about. Um, your fiction books that, say, that seem far less uh, uh, realistic <laughs> in a way, actually. Um, so we we got you got your two characters here. You got Di Charlie Man, and you got Jack Dylan. And the ninth Jack Dylan um, is 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 out now. And you got a Charlie Man here, which is Vengeance, just published um, by Canelo, of course. Um, and what a journey over the last fourteen years, Mister Dylan has had, actually. What a journey. So tell us the difference between the, these two protagonists you've got, Bob and Carol. Dylan obviously is our first, um, the first books we wrote. And so yeah. we were told, write what you know. Um, so Dylan's loosely based on Bob. Jen's loosely based on me. And you see the detectives at home and at work. Um, basically the jobs that Bob dealt with, the things that's happened to us, um, and we really put our lives from fact to fiction yeah. <laughs> in the yeah. whole of the Dylan series. Uh, and we try to get across, how do people cope? How do you cope when your husband's away? How does the family cope when, you know, you spend 18 hours a day at work? Hmm. Um, you, so we- you know, you're sort of alone to the victim's family. Hmm. Um, and you don't, what, what is a misconception with people? is that the senior investigating officer might deal with one murder. Back in the 70s, you know, unless you were on the Ripper, you, you, you might have, if you're unlucky, you get maybe three murders in a year. Yeah. You know, bring it forward. I took charge of 26 in my last, three, <laughs> my last yes. three years. And even though you were dealing with maybe six incidents at once, they'd still send you to half a dozen other bodies. 
Yeah. And then and then obviously DHL Iman's a very strong, independent woman with a, a life of her own. Mm. And um, yeah, they just said, Well, can you write a woman? So we had to give Bob a sex change. <laughs> <laughs> That's more modern day. Yeah, Dylan starts in 1976 and moves forward. I found it. I found it quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking, you're looking well on it. Terrific. Okay. We we've got guys. We've got we got three more submissions to look at. And but I honestly, I think we have to have our own special Bob and Carol show. Maybe a Christmas <laughs> show. Maybe a Christmas. Well, we could show. Do. Maybe that's what we're doing. Yeah. In the meantime, we could talk about Christmas murders. I think that's a very seasonal... Yeah, actually. Cozy Crime. It's just about the biggest genre at the moment, Cozy Crime. I see bridgestock.com is the website to go to if you want to know more about them or indeed buy either of those two series. Here we go. Submission number three. It's from Simon. It's YA Comic Fantasy. I'm looking forward to that. And it's called House Trafalgar, not Trafalgar House, House Trafalgar. Jack Boy discovers his granddad's house is crewed by Napoleonic sailors. He learns he must command them in an epic battle against monstrous property developers. Mm. House Trafalgar transforms a suburban house into an 18th century warship, where the everyday and mundane becomes strange and menacing. It's a satirical comic fantasy that starts off as social realism, moves into master and commander and climaxes in a ridiculously grand Lord of the Rings-style battle in a suburban street. Wow. All about you, Simon. I'm the author of eight novels for the BBC's Doctor Who range. Very nice, too. Tell us what they are, actually. We'll put them up on the screen buy buttons um, as well as a screenwriter whose credits include Rick, Rick Mayall's Tales of Uplift and Moral Improvement my original novel Sirens a dark comedy for grown-ups was published in Australia in 2017 my web comedy Liz and Jess's Undiscovered Country was released online in March and a tour of a theatrical version is planned for autumn 2022 okay so that presumably has happened hope it's happened um house trafalgar is my first original ya novel what an interesting uh, professional life had so far um which can be only be augmented and improved by this wonderful reading from martin house trafalgar by simon read by martin opening salvo the Battle of House Trafalgar began with a knock. The noise in the road had been growing for half an hour and was now deafening. Despite that, Jack Boy still heard the tap on the wood. It was a civilised knock, as if a neighbour had popped round to borrow some milk. The enemy was at the front door. Jack looked at each sailor as they stood in line, shoulder to shoulder, at the foot of the stairs. Whatever happens, he said. We will sell this house dearly. And you never know, perhaps we shall win the day after all. Are you ready to do your duty? Aye, Captain, said the corporal in a futuristic armour. We're ready. Jack realised he was enjoying himself. Could you be scared out of your skin and enjoy it? He should be terrified. But as he looked around at his granddad's house, 
He had to savour this moment. What they did tonight would matter. Tomorrow, he wouldn't remember a thing. Not back in that colourless world he could barely recall. For one last night, he belonged here. The true world. Jack looked again at the ragged defensive line at the foot of the stair. The ragtag collection of sailors in odd uniforms from different houses. Would they stand? Of course, or they wouldn't be here. They were the last of the house fleet, ready to go down fighting. From outside came the sound of a great hiss. No, not a hiss, a the shh spread out from the garden and down the street, louder than a shout. Then there was silence. How many were out there, Jack wondered. How many, keeping as quiet as an estate agent, could ever manage? Another knock. Then a couple of light taps. By the gods, do they take us for fools? laughed the Argonaut sailor from the staircase. Suddenly, the timid knock became frantic hammering, then ceased, as if whoever stood on the porch was wondering what to do next. What's happening? asked Jack. They can't get in, said the corporal. They can't enter unless someone lets them. How come no one had told him this before? You mean, he said, they might never get in? The corporal shook her head. No chance, Captain. They always get in. The front door bounced and jumped on its hinges. The noise from the army outside started up again. A thousand greedy, frustrated throats. Then a mighty crash as something very loud and very big banged into the front door. The stair crew, all five of them, jumped. Bang all you want, shrieked the crazy Amy from her cupboard under the stairs. No viewings for you. Stand firm, Jack ordered. He took a step forward. He paced to the front door and put a hand against it, feeling the wood shaking on its hinges. He hadn't been expecting this. As he touched the door, the pounding ceased. Suddenly, there was an unnatural silence in the hallway. He turned to see Boson watching him from the front room doorway. The old sailor inclined his head, squinted as he listened and said, They have a key. Something metal scratched against the outside lock. How can they have a key? Jack wailed. Who would give them a key? Get back from the front door, Captain, said the boatswain. Back into line. Who would give them a key? The corporal broke ranks and hauled Jack to the stairs. The crew are looking to you, she snapped, jabbing his thick blue captain's tunic. Don't let them down. To have his hopes raised and then immediately dashed was almost more than Jack's poor heart could bear. He shoved his bike on hat tightly onto his head, holding it fast as if to keep his senses locked in his skull. The plan, he had to remember the plan. They were relying on him. Grandad was relying on him. Captain, snapped Boson. we have but moments. I'm here, Jack snapped. He glared at the watching house crew. Front room, if you please, Boson. The Boson gave him a respectful nod. See you in the morning, Captain. He saluted and closed the front room door. Um, there we go, and uh, so, so many nice um, comments about Martin's reading. Actually, well, he's got a slightly understated, but he, but he packs a punch. He's a very, very unique reader, is Martin. Uh, let's see what the genii are saying, and they're saying lots. 
Um, Hannah and Jan saying basically the same thing. Yes, to a Bob and Carol show special at Christmas. That's that's going to be our, we're going to book you for Christmas, guys. Yes, definitely. Um, and as far as the submission is concerned, Mr. Dupre was quick off the mark. That blurb hooked me. He says, Matt, first off, the blurb is money. Uh, several other people have said, yeah, two halves. Um, I don't understand the blurb, says Claire. Mel says, blurb too long, but engaging concept. Yes, I think a lot of people think it's an engaging uh, concept. Lex says, um, bad. Blurb is pitch, not blurb. Good. I want this book. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Let's go. He's going to get excited, I know, about the Doctor Who associations. And why not use it? Use it, mate. Yeah. Um, Hannah says, blurb is interesting, but I'm not sure we'll hook the Y audience the same that. James says, first part of the blurb works, which is, this is exactly what people think, actually. Last part with comps, not for blurb. Sarah says, great concept. Hannah, like the opening line. Johnny, nice line. Enemy was at the front door, which was literally true, wasn't it? And then concerns, I think it's fair to say, about the title being YA Enough. Futuristic armor, Hannah picked that up. What does it look like? I, I couldn't see it at all. And Matt opening is clearly trying to set a mood, but I'm not guessing what that is. Ellie Thomas said, I thought he'd already opened the front door. Great reading. Martin says, Mel, Hannah, odd uniforms from different houses. What do they look like? Uh, the reader needs to hear, see, smell what the author has in his head. Jan, Martin's reading is fantastic. You've got a fan club, mate. Um, good writing, but I haven't got a clue what it's all about, says Claire. And LA says, I fear we started the wrong place. Uh, for YA, says Matt, the author is expecting quite a bit of interest in real estate matters. <laughs> uh, writing feels more MG than YA, says Hannah, but needs to get the story going quicker. And James says, goes on a little too long with the setup. Get into the action. And Eva couldn't understand what was going on, but the writing was jolly good. Mm, interesting. What do you think, Bev? Um, I wanted to like it more than I did because of the obvious credibility of the writer. Mm. Um, but a couple of things um, really, I really did like. I liked that they could, if it's about the battle for a house in some way, and he called it the opening salvo rather than chapter one. I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. And it's just a small detail, but it, it set the scene in a really nice way. And I loved crazy amy from her cupboard under the stairs things it so you know it's like oh yes give me more of that but the um and there was a shush that came that spread down the street loud you know louder than a shout so there were some some lovely things but that i think somebody mentioned it on the chat this for me felt entirely the wrong place to start mm -hmm. simply because all of these things it felt like I'd come in halfway through something mm. um, and uh, there were characters I should care about and stakes that I should be worried about. But because I knew nothing about it, I really didn't have time to feel that. So it felt like it was a wasted opportunity to have it right at the beginning there because it, it, it could have so much tension that it didn't really have because we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And, the other issue I had was if this is YA, our property developers, yeah. as it said, on the, is that a baddie for a, for a YA audience? And, you know, um, I maybe wouldn't put it in the blurb as, you know, yeah. they've got to do battle with property developers and save their house from pro – it's just like – I, I'm not sure I know a 15-year-old who's going to go, gosh, yes, I must find out how they do that because it's not part of their world. Yeah. And the idea of baddie estate agents, I mean, 
if they're masquerading as estate agents, but actually they're like warlocks from another dimension yeah, coming in and doing ah, something. Yes. You know, then you've then you've got me. But yeah. the the idea of it just being about actually property developers, I wasn't sure how much legs that would have with YA. Well, unless so unless you that, unless you pose just saying property developers mm. or yeah realtors or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, but, yeah. It, but if you set you know you set them up as the the evil overlords who are going to destroy something beautiful and gorgeous and irre irreplaceable, then then yeah they can become villains quite easily. Um, yeah. Mel says writing is masterful, but may need a few more deets to follow. I think the writing is good too, actually. Sarah says, I could think yeah. I missed something. I feel like I know exactly what you mean by that. I feel exactly mm -hmm. the same as that. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, actually. Um, PC says, an interesting concept. The door gets a lot of attention. If this is for the youth market, I would like to know how Jack is. And EG says, EG Logan says, often text start too early in events. This is exactly, you took this straight out of my head. But it seemed to me this is a bit too late. That's As if I missed thought. something. Yeah, I felt that too. Yeah. Bob and Carol. <laughs> Can I just start by saying the first thing that hit me was it sounded a bit like, you know, Mary Poppins, you know, that mm. part in Mary Poppins where, um, mm. uh, yeah, the, you know, he was, he was sort of, in, he was a captain, wasn't he? Of the, the granddad yeah, yeah, was a yeah. captain. Admiral, and, Admiral and that's I, I can't remember his name. Yeah, but he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the bed knobs and broomsticks when all yeah. the uniforms are marching and, yeah. and everything. And I thought, mm. do you know, I thought that was that it's a really good concept. And the other mm. thing I really liked was the fact that, you know, like if you've got names already, like a bosun or a, mm. you know, like names, it, it almost... I mean, you were saying before, Bev, wasn't you, in like one of the stories that we've heard where there were so many names and I, I get a bit confused with like um, Icelandic names because they all end in Ick or Vick or whatever. Or yeah. I, it's too many of too much for me. Whereas if, if you actually had like a team of people on a boat and you could give all the characters that, do you know what I mean? It, it, you can actually link with them. You can feel, you know, you know what job they do. <laughs> that that's my sort of feelings on it yeah. um but yeah. yeah great concept um yeah <laughs> and Lex points out property, property developers were the villains of the goonies of course they were yeah, yeah. but there was a build-up for that to make it work sorry bob yeah yeah no i was i was intrigued by it i quite you know like listening to it to to read through you know it's like the squatters last stand here yeah uh and I could see that, that you know, the, the house is going to be demolished or it's going to be taken over and they haven't got anything else chance of stopping them. But yeah, yeah. it is the last stand. And because yeah. Grandad was in the, the Navy, as it were, that's what they've chosen. So I'd have probably read more of this just to see where it took us because, I, I, like people have said, it's well written uh, and you'd expect it to be. Uh, but, yeah, I'd, re I'd read on a little bit more just to see where it took us. I just but, want to yeah, ask both of you, all three of you, let me just ask all three of you, please, this thing. I, I, I don't know if it's just me, if I couldn't have come, it's okay. So I was starting to, I was wondering at the beginning, what, this house is full of Napoleonic sailors. So how did that happen? And, you know, so often, you, can, you know, authors can just say, well, this is, this is my universe. Welcome to it. I don't need to explain a damn thing because you're reading it now and, and we just take it from here. But in this instance, I think this isn't normal. I think, is this, is this delusional? Is it a bad dream? What's going on here? I'm, I'm, now, tell me, Depends am, I, am I wrong to think that or what? Sorry, Bob, go on. It depends where you live and who your neighbours are. Well, quite. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I felt we missed some of the fun. 
Sorry, yeah, I felt we missed some of the fun of finding out about yeah, him meeting these people right. and discovering yeah, them. I think that's um, right. And yeah. that would end up having to be told in backstory. And yes. and it, it, it it's, just it's not, like not so much fun then, is it? Right way around. Yeah. No. Yeah, a bit like again, a bit like Mary Poppins, you know, and, yeah. and they had all these people living in this in this boat that was at the yeah. top of the house. Mel says need more than 700 words to get into this one. Would read on, though. LA says Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, and uh, Matt says Terry Gilliam's Time Bandit kind of vibe. I think it was uh, Time Bandit where the bank becomes a pirate ship. And I've got one to add to the list here. There's quite a long list here. You've got interesting sort of intellectual pedigree here, Simon. Um, I would add uh, uh, John Maysfield. Actually, John Maysfield, The Midnight Folk, which is such a beautiful book. And, you know, and you have got pirates and you've got ships uh, and, and, and paintings on walls that then sail out of the painting and become part of, re you know, reality. Yeah. And it's a lovely, Ooh. lovely story. I'm sure you've read it, Simon, if you haven't. Such a good treat there. Um, and it, it's got a Maysfield feeling um, about it, except we don't have that ma magical sort of transition moment, you know, the liminal yeah, you moment. You want that moment when you step into Narnia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, right. Beth. Yeah. Um, and Mel says, could this be an example of where a prologue could be helpful? It might be, actually. Matt says, Indian in the cupboard, another one. Absolutely. So you've got great intellectual sort of pedigree going on there. Uh, we got a vote, I think, from everyone. Let's look at the numbers. 66. I think, um, I think you've got very high... Um, Interest on marks for the concept here, and for the craft, definitely, definitely good writing. Um, but yeah, it's stuff like um, Jack looked at each sailor, and I'm just going, why have you got sailors there? And then also, I remember Hannah picked this up, futuristic armor. I just think, yeah, yeah, the stuff, stuff happening. I don't understand. I feel a little excluded, actually, mm. and I don't know that you want your readers to to start reading a manuscript if they're feeling excluded or not. Anyway, 63, let's go have a look at the next submission. 66, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Here we go. Butterflies. Butterfly. A market fiction slash accessible literary. <gasps> I so like that accessible literary. Thank you, Andrew, for sending this. Appreciate it. We will treat it with reverence, respect. But honesty, here's the blurb. When nine-year-old Kylo reappears seven years after his abduction, unable to talk or engage with others, it's up to his uncle, the oddball Winston Churchill lookalike, Felix Sallow, to rescue him from the trauma of his past and to try to uncover what happened to him during his absence. Felix takes Kylo on a countrywide butterfly hunt and with the police standing by, the final leg of their trip will take them to the site where the boy went missing seven years previously. I have an MA in creative writing, says Andrew, from the University of Southampton, during which I was awarded the Maureen Taylor Bursary for Outstanding Writing and for work in the community. I was assisting the delivery of creative writing workshops for young people. Good. I've also been a foster carer and during the writing of this novel was able to draw upon my observations of how past trauma can manifest in present behaviour. That's interesting. Currently, I'm beginning to work on a new novel about a brother and sister who find themselves cut adrift from one another in the wake of the brother's ordaining as a Buddhist monk. 
That's traumatic. <laughs> as well as researching for a third historical novel about Thomas Hardy and his wife, Emma. Wow. You're a, uh, a multifunctional sort of writer here. Well, in that case, I think we need a reading from our multifunctional narrator. It's Ali. Butterfly by Andrew. Read by Alison. Prologue. I'm not a mischievous soul, but when I was ten years old, I told my younger brother Daniel that he would be unable to fit through doors when he was an adult, on account of his unusually large head. While we were lying in bed one evening, waiting with eyes open for sleep to snatch us, as it tends to, suddenly, with children, I described in great detail how his head would continue to grow disproportionately to the rest of his body, and that in the end he would find himself stuck, either indoors or out, depending on where he happened to be at the crucial moment, during which his gargantuan pate finally became too wide to fit within the confines of a standard-width doorframe. This wild hyperbole was taken with some scepticism at first, but my heroic persistence in the lie over a period of days eventually broke down the weak defences of his six-year-old logic. In his fear over what kind of future lay in store for him, he grew so angry with me that he managed to pin me to the ground in the kitchen amid the spilt cereal, despite being four years my junior. He proceeded then to strike me repeatedly around the ears, as I complained that he ought not to shoot the messenger, and that perhaps his time might be better served putting his affairs in order, and preparing for the worst. Surprisingly, Father found the incident rather humorous. That glint in his eye was a rare animal, while Mother appeared to be more upset with the way Father reacted than with me or Daniel for fighting. After we were sent to our shared bedroom in disgrace, I was forced to listen to both mother and father's voluble argument downstairs, as well as to Daniel lying in the bed in the corner, hyperventilating, struggling to calm himself down. I relate to you this particular anecdote, not because the memory lends me pleasure. On the contrary, I am ashamed that I contributed in however small a way to my brother's inchoate sense of insecurity, in order merely to assuage my own, especially given the fact that his head was in all probability, well within the parameters of what may be termed the average human head. No, I bring it up by way of approaching somewhat obliquely. Forgive me, I am naturally trepidatious. The true core of this tale, the events of which took place more than twenty years later. At the time, a series of improbable happenings had placed my nephew within my care, and although he would not, or perhaps could not, speak of his terrifying experiences, I often felt very strongly the notion that it was in fact my brother before me, rather than his offspring. So similar were they in their moments of emotional fragility, that unpredictable tendency of theirs, whenever cornered, towards violence. To say, then, that my taking care of the boy was a retroactive means of doing right by my late brother, whom I had never taken the trouble to understand while he was alive, is not entirely a false premise. Nonetheless, it is not the whole story. Dear reader, the following is an account of the boy's struggles, and of how I tried to reach him. 1. Southampton, 2010 It seemed inevitable that our circumstances would continue to stagnate, so that once the idea of the expedition had occurred to me, it very quickly gathered pace. First of all, we would need to secure a copy of the book that would be our guide, and I felt that there was no need to purchase a copy if it could just as easily be borrowed at no expense. You could help me find it if you'd like. I suggested to Kylo, who was in one of his moods. Come and sit at the computer with me. I can show you how to press the keys and how to move the cursor hither and yon. It's like a game. Very exciting. No? You sure? 
<laughs> That's quite all right. In actual fact, it would probably be a terrible bore. You're right. Silly of me even to suggest it. So, thank you, Ali, of course. Um, just one more time, I should say, actually, voice.lutopia.com. You've got an audiobook. You're on their Check them out. They're all on that page, and you can contact them directly. Do we need to know Felix looks like Winston Churchill? Says L.A. Thomas in the blurb. Oh, I don't think we do. Hannah, I like the title because I love butterflies. Okay. That's not the right reason for liking the title, though. L.A. Thomas says, doing his absence is redundant. This plot sounds familiar, says E.G. Logan. Details not. I like the blurb, says James. Sounds dark, says Claire. Sarah likes the title. Not sure it's working hard enough. I don't think it's working hard enough as well. We have got an alternative title suggestion. I think it's bloody good, actually. Ellie Thomas says, how about the butterfly boy? That's better. That's more on the nose, isn't it? Blurb's intriguing. Uh, Monsieur Dupré said, I thought our market accessible were mutually exclusive. Yeah. Wonderful opening, says Matt. Love the opening line, says Mel. Eva, plenty of room for Lair upon Lair. Mystery unfolding. So we're quite excited to begin with, aren't we? General feeling there. Don't like the blurb, says Mr. Dupre. Churchill lookalike doesn't grab me at all. I like the first paragraph, says Hannah. Sarah says, opening's engaging. You've got 100% behind you, actually, at the beginning here. Then Eva says, I think the tide is turning a little bit. I'm not captured by anyone here. Hello says, I was enjoying it, but speaking directly to me has thrown me. And that's echoed, actually, by, I think it's Matt, who says, the moment we break the fourth wall, well, you break the fourth wall, actually, let's be specific, I'm pointing the finger at you, Andrew, um, the moment you break the fourth wall, the story loses oomph, and I think it does, let's see if our guests agree with that, jump from brother to nephew, confuse me, why all the info about the brother, way too much telling, says James, get into the story, what do you think, Bob and Carol? I loved it. <laughs> it totally engaged me right from wow. the beginning. I love the writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I love the writing. Um, well, you've given it top yeah, marks for class and top, uh, oh, nearly top marks for bang, Absolutely. actually. Yeah, and you like the title. Absolutely. You like, uh, you like the blurb particularly. So we need to talk to you about this just for a moment or two because you are the experts on crime writing. This Andrew's position, this is upmarket fiction slash accessible literary, but I'm betting, I'm guessing, what you like about it is the crime potential. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought so. <laughs> uh, there is so, I just feel as though there's so much potential for so many places to go with it. And and I think because Bob Bob's got two brothers and they continually tell me of the time when they were growing up. And then things and, and like that happened. And they had big heads. They had big heads. They'll never forgive me. They'll never forgive me for that, will they? And, ah. and our daughters used to one of our daughters used to say to the other one that witches were gonna come in the window if she stepped across her door, you know. <laughs> so I, I I love that. I, I I just think that captured everything for our mate. No, well, I love it, mate. Yeah, I really love it. Fantastic. Well that's that's yeah, I mean I you can't say better than that. Yeah. I mean, excited then. I, I, like Carl says, I was intrigued by it. I like some of the humour in it. I like where it started. And for me, I would read more of this because I like the way it is written. And a lot of it is telling. We know that. Yeah, but in these early stages, I'd hope it would go away from that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had this vision of police officers with butterfly nets you know, <laughs> yeah. wandering around yeah. the forest, you know, yeah. which is, you yeah. know, it makes a change. Makes a change from CS Gaston and things like that. Yeah. But no, I think it was 
well crafted. The start for me would make me read more. So I liked it, perhaps not as much as Carol did, but I did uh, engage with it. And I thought, well, where are you going with this? I'm waiting to see. And I, I'd want to read more. Yes. I think several people in the genius room have said that, but Barbara, uh, Bob, what, what is wrong with me today? <laughs> what is wrong with me? I, I don't know, it. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Beeve. Yeah, it's all right, Polly. <laughs> I wanted to like it more than I did because this is a person who can really write. But I felt sometimes that I was picked up and then kind of just, nudged off again and then picked up and then nudged off a dear reader did it for me it was like yeah, oh gosh too. no yeah, that yeah. that 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 just felt too too dry and stodgy and yeah. the and it felt too disconnected from what i was promised in the blurb the blurb mm. um although not perfect and we could lose winston churchill we don't really need to know that it's you know but um it gave a really, you know, interesting idea. And I I felt we needed to get into that space, which didn't feel quite created by yes. uh, all the backstory at the beginning, which I just felt was nicely done, but could come later. Mm. Um, you know, there it, it was like, it's tell, not show, and it's backstory, and... I, I found the narrator, therefore, quite hard to like. Mm. And if I want to spend a whole book with someone, I have to like them a bit. And so, and then there was a disorientating jump. So we went straight into chapter one, and it said something about our circumstances continued to stagnate. But we hadn't mm. had a chance to see them stagnating. Mm. Um, we're sort of being told something after the effect. Um, and uh, yeah, I, it was again, I just felt a little bit dropped by, by the author there of, uh, uh, what, hang on, hang on. Uh, uh. So I, I, I think it, this person has all the talent, Yeah. but maybe, maybe look at how to pull us in and invite us in a little bit more for me. However, yeah. but not for Carol, are you good there? <laughs> yes. Well, that's the challenge, <laughs> isn't it, actually? How are that? Yeah, how are that? Yeah. It's very interesting when this happens, because I think people are a bit divided. Let's just uh, update ourselves with the genius room. Matt says, anyone else a bit angsty about the severed human head looking down on uh, Bob and Carol? <laughs> yeah. And Ally says, it's got his trusty helmet on. I feel safe. Good. Um, but coming back to the manuscript, um, John Bertel says, the old-fashioned witty writing style was not expected from the blurb, and I think that's true. I've got to say, I was thrown by that. It, I wrote gothic. It just feels Victorian gothic writing style almost. And it's it's too mannered for me. Um, but then I always look at it from a commercial point of view. And, you know, who could I sell this to and how much can I make out of it? Not much. But you turn it into, you know, a legitimate crime story. Like, you've got a missing seven years. What happened? And you've, you've got, you've got a, a child that's, who's completely dumb. What happened? I think I think that's intriguing, and I would I would want you to focus on that. But all this, you know, Churchill jowly stuff. I, uh, that's, I don't know. I, you might say it's literary. I don't think it's accessible. Um, prologue was more interesting. The opening of the chapter says, um, 
Hannah, many, many yeah. words of praise for yeah. Ali. I would read on, though, says Hannah. Her voice engaged me enough to keep going. Peyton says, beginning drew me in. Like the voice and the telling rather than showing a bit 19th century. I felt that too. That's why I wrote Gothic. Churchill look like gave a nice image of a determined hero fighting evil. Interesting, that. But maybe you could have brought that in slightly more obscurely, not exactly on the nose. I did love the voice, says Matt. It's not far off, but I felt I wanted more uh, of we... Oh, it's just gone. Uh, I wanted... He just wanted more. Uh, more of where we were getting up front. What we were getting up front. It's too choppy for me, says Claire, jumping around. Mel, interesting how divided we are on this one. It is. Loved. Mel loved it. And Matt, anyone else? No, we've got that. We've had that already. Autocorrect is fighting Monsieur Dupre today. And good night, Mr. Tom, says Claire, meets my name is David. Interesting. And mm -hmm. LA says, start with a boy reappearing, being found. So I'm just, oh, PC Frontage has come out. I did not see the point of starting with the big head incident. This makes the no-name narrator seem mean. I would suggest starting with the kidnapping or the parents finding out their son has gone missing. Um, we are divided on this, actually. You've got Bob and Carol going max out. Bev is not so sure, and at the moment I'm going, uh, you know, I, I don't know where, where I could take it, really. Are you sure, Bob and Carol, you're not just voting for the book that you want it to be rather than what you're seeing in front of you? I think it's what, I think it's what we've been given already, and, and seeing beyond that... I think we are, I think as I, I get Bob's, when I get Bob's manuscript, because this yeah. is how we work. So I get, I get his 70,000 words or whatever he's written and given me. And then I start reading. And I suppose the way I work is I see what's beyond. Do you understand what I mean? So I do. Although I don't know what's coming, I'm, I'm already there. I'm on the road. I'm yes. on the path. Um, and I, I, that's how I read as well. Um, so we, we just recently um, were consultants on The Beast Must Die, and I don't know if you've ever read the book of the same name, mm. um, but they, you know, he writes um, a diary. And I do like that style of writing, yes. um, which I felt, you know, like we've said, dear reader, yeah, you know, I do like that style of writing. So that right. is my... In, in my defence, Peter, all I can say is that only one of us can put the scars in and count. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I get it. I, I, I loved it. I loved it. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> right, so we got, we got some... If everybody liked the same thing, it'd be... It'd exactly. Be world, it's not a bad yeah. thing, Andrew, to have people, you know, arguing over your book. It's not a bad thing at all. Mm. You, all you need at the uh, to begin with, of course, is uh, an agent or two and a publisher or two who do really like it. And then they can put it out and you just let that publicity roll. And that's exactly what you want, actually. Let's look at the numbers. 65, that is the result of extreme feelings both ways. You've got a 65 and, yes, everybody has voted. So let's look at the scorecard. Right now, we only have one more submission to go. It's very tight, isn't it? You've got two 65s, got one 67, House Trafalgar by Simon. Coasting, still coasting on his massive success, courtesy of the BBC. And we've got one more. One more this month. This is it. It's The Outlier. The Outlier. Do you like that as a title? The Outlier. I like it. I think it's quite original. Nice and short. And the Nick Cheatham's. Admonitions about titles. Eight letters, please. No, it's not. It's a bit more late, isn't it? But it's, it's quite short. Why a dystopian... Oh, it's a well-trodden path, that is. It's from Joe, Joe Sweeney. 
and I happen to know actually who the narrator is, and she's not called Barbara. This is <laughs> this is Joyce Blurb. A ghost is stalking 17-year-old Kath Larkin. Looks exactly like her. It sounds exactly like her. But that's where their similarities end, because the ghost despises everything about Kath and vows to kill her by taking control of her mind and body. Soon, Kath faces a desperate choice. Surrender to the demons of her past and let the vengeful ghost destroy her? Or wage a crippling war to save herself? Her country's fate rests on her decision. I'm a father of two teens, says Joe. An Ironman triathlete. Whoa, yeah. And a lover of travel. The plan is to eventually repeat the round-the-world trip I did in my 20s. We all want to recapture our lost youths. Um, above all, writing is my true passion and my dream is for the outlier and my future novels to be successfully published. I've done both online courses and attended, and also attended a novel writing course hosted by Connor Costick in the Irish Writers' Centre. Okay, so we need to give you a damn good launch and that's going to be... Yes, it is. Indeed it is. It's Bev. The Outlier by Joe Sweeney, read by Bev. Chapter One, The Killing Floor. The woman in the long rubber gown reaches forward and takes the chunky syringe with the long needle into her hand. And even though I've yearned for this moment and for the death the bright amber liquid in the barrel will soon bring, a bubble of fear bursts in my chest, unbidden. I start bucking against the stiff leather straps, holding me tight to the bed. Spot in my frantic movement, the woman spins towards me. She lifts the dark rectangular googles, covering her eyes with her free hand, and for a moment the numbers and symbols flowing across the interior lenses are visible. Relax, Catherine, she hisses. Easy for her to say when she's the one doing the killing. But even so, my body gradually settles of its own accord under her piercing gaze. Satisfied, the woman pulls the googles back down. She examines the syringe for a few seconds more before putting it back into the open chamber of a microwave-sized medical device. Pock is her name, Surgeon Pock. She has a witch's pointy nose and fingers that are so long they're more like the legs of a Goliath tarantula than anything belonging on a human hand. Her slime-coloured hooded gown swishes menacingly as she takes a few steps back. Pulling her arms wide, a holographic representation of my brain appears around her. She zooms into different areas by flowering her fingers, only to then bunch her fist and reset the magnification. It's in my frontal lobe that she lingers, though, rotating the hollow this way and that. The display is so detailed at this point that I can make out a slight pulsing in the soft tissue. She spends a few minutes studying the image intently. Then, with a nod to herself, she collapses it. The distraction of the hollow now gone, my panic sparks again. But the sour-faced surgeon is right about me needing to stay calm. I want to die with dignity. I crane my neck in desperation to get a better view of the room. It's no easy task, though, given the restraints. The operating theatre, 
or the killing floor, as some call it, in terrified whispers at school, is a bright, sterile place with a domed ceiling and alabaster white walls. A large monitor by the foot of the bed displays my vitals, temperature, blood pressure, respiration and heart rate. Directly above, two harsh spotlights stare down on me accusingly. The only other person in the room is a squat, expressionless nurse. Dressed like Pock, she idles close to me. How many times have they done this? Watching as a child's heart stops, their face slackens, their neural activity ceases. Thousands, most likely. They order the medical staff not to care about us, to treat us as if we're cardboard cutouts rather than living CO2-producing humans. Still, some recognition of what I'm facing would be good. An encouraging word, a reassuring hand on my shoulder. But no, I'm to go through this alone. The only comfort I have is the photograph I'm holding in my left hand. That I can't move my head to see it isn't important. Just having it with me is enough. It's of my older brother, Connor, taken at home just before he hit seventeen, the same age I turned today. My fingers trace across his neat black hair, his goofy grin. I am now older than Connor ever got to be, I think. A sharp pain fills my insides at the realisation. Finished with her prep, Pock approaches me. My eyes slide to the syringe she once again holds more specifically to the packs that fills the barrel. Soon those horrible little machines will be spreading out inside me, warping me, debasing me, killing me. Ready, Miss Larkin? Pock asks. She jabs sideways without waiting for an answer, and the needle pierces the thick metal clamp attached to my neck. She pushes the syringe fully in and presses a tiny button on the barrel. It empties, the packs flowing into the clamp. From there, the liquid passes through the clamp's micro-thin needles, piercing my skin and on into my body. Thank you very much, Bev, for terrific reading. Let's go straight to Bev, our narrator, to uh, tell us, yeah, how, how, how did you feel reading this? How you got inside it and you read it brilliantly? Thank you. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. However, there were some trip you up sentences that I struggled with and like microwave sized medical device was kind of hard to say. Mm. I had to, yeah. So, but I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought there was a nice um, atmosphere. There was a real sense of place and atmosphere and, and, and being... And a slight teenage voice as well, which seemed the seventeen-year-old voice seemed to work. I thought yeah, yeah. Um, there were some tweaks I'd make. There's some editing I'd make, but there's there's no massive. Oh yeah, no, chuck all this out. Mm. Kind of feel about it. I the the only thing I found was it was harder for me to engage with the characters' emotions, and I think that was largely because right at the beginning she said. I was, even though I was yearning for this death, um, actually now that it was happening, I wasn't so sure. So 
so you put it in our minds that she kind of wanted to die anyway so that it, it reduced the terror uh, yeah. of yeah. what could have been really quite oh, oh, needles, needles coming close, don't like this. Uh, be, uh, and for me, the the only thing about it that really, really didn't work was I didn't know where this was in connection to what had been written on the blurb. Yeah. Uh, where was the ghost? Is this before the ghost or after the ghost? Is this halfway through the story? Does this lead to the ghost? If she's about to die... How can it be about two versions of her? I don't. There, there was a disconnect between this and the blurb. And out of the two, I think I'd rewrite the blurb, even though it was a lovely blurb and I liked mm. it a lot. Mm. I'd, I'd maybe pull the blurb back down again and say, you know, she's she's in this situation. This is going to happen, but what she doesn't know is, you know, yeah. and just just give us a taster of what's yeah. coming. Several people um, have said they make, don't like the make, last line of the blurb. Her country's fate rests on her decision. Adjusted yeah, no, that I didn't like. Sorry. Yes, so it's it's the blurb I'd shift rather than the Got opening it. to the book because I really liked it. Got it. Thanks, Bob Carroll. Well, I, you know, it's being said there about how do you say how does this save the world that it, that just didn't connect with me. But the rest of it quite powerful. I'm waiting for say don't do this at home sign warning. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you know, I got lost a little bit with it. It's like Bev says, you know, if you look at the blurb, is she going to die in the first chapter? Or is this just an art-stopping uh, operation that's going to restart her heart? I'm not sure. Uh, where is that's she the ghost? It. Or is she the ghost? Is she going to be then the ghost? You know, is, is the ghost, you know... Her dying. Uh, like you say, well, you we don't, don't know, people have been yeah. asking and speculating about that. We don't know. But is, is, does that turn know. you off? Does that make you want to start reading? Or does no. that make you want to no. find out? No, I thought it was exceptionally well read, and uh, but I thought no, it was powerful, it was intriguing, uh, and it was there. It was different for me, uh, and I liked the way it was done. And like you said, the blurb and the actual first chapter. Yeah, I agree with both. Didn't blend. There, yeah. Didn't blend totally, but as I say, some tweaking. I think that you're going to be, you know, readers will be drawn in with this. I was. And I want to know where it's going. I could be switched off with the next chapter, depending <laughs> what happens, but hopefully not. Uh, you know, uh, and I th yeah, well done to it. Well done to Joe, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Joe. Yes, very yes, well done. Yeah, outline. very well okay. done. So let's just catch up with the genii. Uh, great concept uh, in this blurb, says Hannah. Matt, blurbs, Matt says, blurb is good. Should we tighten a bit? I agree. It should, uh, yeah, there's a lot of time it could happen. And last line is out of left field. Yeah, it is. L.A. Thomas, hooked by the blurb, hooked by the blurb. I like the outline, says James, reminds me of the Outlanders. <clears throat> it's close, isn't it? Love the title of the blurb, says Jan, and the blurb had me until that last line. Yeah. Why does the nation rest? I, I think that's unnecessary. Wow, says E.J. Logan, powerful start. And says, yeah, ditch the last line of the blurb. <clears throat> um, excuse me. Uh, a number of people have picked up. It's, it should, you, you meant goggles, didn't you? And bloody autocorrect, eh? Google's no. <laughs> She'd written it twice, so I thought, well, maybe it's deliberate. Maybe yeah. she is. It is some new thing where you get Google showing you stuff behind. So I, I went yeah. with it. What she wrote. Yeah, did you? Uh, no, just it jumped. It made me jump out of it. <clears throat> after, the blurb, after reading the blurb, says Hannah, I was expecting the seventeen-year-old living teenager. Is this her or the ghost? I feel lost because I don't know. 
Does that mean you're going to stop yeah. reading, Hannah? Or do you want to read on? I don't know. A lot of internal dialogue, says James. Too much for me. I'm on the edge of my seat, says Jan. Mr. Dupree says, the opener is way more interesting than the blurb. Sadly, I would never get past it. Mm. Did I miss the why of all this, says Sarah? Yes, you did, actually. You did. You just straight in there. Does that work, guys, do you think? Mm. Possibly, mm. yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I, it could and it couldn't. I'm, I'm not sure on that, whether okay. it would. Okay. Because I, I, I think, you know, from the beginning, the blurb there just does draw you straight in. Like we say, the last the last line, and but that's fine tweak, and that's neither here nor there. We can, we yeah. can remove that. Uh, but I don't think it spoils it, and I think you can jump straight in there. I, I mean, for me, I just want to know more. I want to know yeah. where the next chapter's going. So I me would too. read on. Yeah. Eva says, if I knew something about the main character, maybe I would care <clears throat> why she's in this position. John says, powerful. I think it's, I think it's the ghost's point of view. We've got people talking about this. Whose point of view is it? No, I think it's good. I don't know the point of view, says Matt, but I want to find out. And Matt also says, I've covered a couple of executions. He's a journalist, of course, distinguished journalist. And a guest <laughs> on this too. I've covered a couple of executions. This really does a nice job of getting across the vibe if not the actual details. And PC uh, PC Frontier says, I like the title for me. I think the start is missing the where, when, and, how, and, e, uh, and why. E.G. Logan says, not sure I'd want any more details. Right. <laughs> so, so I think we need to look at some numbers here. You've got a 74, Joe. Wow. you got a 74. And all the numbers are in. If you've got any more votes in the, um, this is the last submission of the last show of the month. So it's really crucial. And the previous winner, which was Andy Carter with Flagging Dad, had 73. So if you've got any more votes at all in the Genius Room, get them in in the next second or two uh, while we look at the total score. And there you are. It is 74. Read by Beverly. Not Barbara. Maybe there's something going on there, Beverly Barbara. A ghost is stalking <laughs> 17-year-old Beverly. I don't know. It's called Barbara. Uh, <laughs> but that looks pretty That defends what work, Pete. Exactly. Um, he it, it, it looks, <clears throat> looks pretty powerful to me. I think, I think we have a show winner there. Thanks a million, guys. Great for you about Googles. <laughs> Says Joe, who's with us right at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Very dramatic, actually. Wow, we've got, we've got, I don't think this has ever happened before. The last submission, the last show of the month, actually pips, pips it. You, you've done it, you've done it, Joe. Wow. So you're a weekly winner, and we, we haven't had time. Normally we have time. You, you've screwed our system up big time, Joe. <laughs> we normally have time to do a little card for the monthly winner but we haven't got it <laughs> so i can play that twice if you want but there's only still only two weekly winners i'm i'm very pleased by that actually i think it's bags of commercial potential i found it genuinely disturbing i think a lot of people did and you've evoked emotion there and that's a good thing to do um i would edit it for simplicity i think i think it's possibly been slightly overwritten in parts um, and the same token, it needs it needs a light but tight head. It's just that you could just you could tighten it up a bit more, and it would become so much stronger. Not that it isn't already. So wow, congratulations, Joe. Um, we're expecting great things from you, and you will be going to head of Zeus. And you're smiling. 
How very dignified. You've allowed yourself a tiny, tiny little smiley. That's brilliant. I'm so pleased you're smiling because we are too. What a show. This is, it's great, actually. Look, we've got Bev there, who's narrator of the, of the winning submission. Isn't that, isn't that fabulous? And Barbara. And Barbara, and Barbara as well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's happy first. And then let's just put that card up again, actually, guys, because if you want, you want... We are going to... We, it's a booking, right? It's a booking. Your book for, for our Christmas show, yeah? Agreed? <laughs> that's, that's fine, yeah? yeah. Agreed. Fantastic. Agreed. Agreed. Excellent. Great. It's, no it's gonna be it's gonna be a cozy crime Christmas. But we've got yeah. we've got eleven more months to go of, of fabulous shows. <laughs> thanks, thanks for being on, Bev. Thanks for being on Bob and Carol. And thank you for voting as well. Genius Room. What what a show. Keep writing, everybody. Yeah, my heart is in my mouth. Congratulations, Joe, our monthly winner. And guys, we'll we'll see you next week. Hit it!